0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the latest DF Direct Weekly. It's our weekly chat show where we talk about the latest in gaming and technology
1: news. Uh, quick vocal here, John Lineman, Rich, how's it going? Uh, I guess it was supposed to be Tom this week, but Tom is not here, so we're back together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and of course, Alex Batalia. The third part of the triumvirate, still high quality. I'd say hi, everyone.
0: <laughs> okay well let's move on to the first topic for discussion this week okay so um it was CitizenCon 2021 this is where essentially uh, cloud imperium games share all of their news uh, about star citizen huge game seems to have been in development forever I've got no idea when it's actually going to be complete. Is it ever actually going to be complete? What do nope. they actually show,
2: Alex? <laughs> so the first answer to your question is: Will it ever be complete? No, it won't. Star Citizen <laughs> is like World of Warcraft, where it's going to keep changing every year for till the game just doesn't have support any longer, whenever that may be. Um, What they showed off, though, was essentially multiple things. Uh, They went through their changing technology stack. Uh, The game client itself is moving over to Vulkan within the upcoming year, which uh, they're running on, like, Legacy, Lumberyard, and uh, CryEngine 3.8 code in a lot of ways, and then all the stuff they've added into the game over time. And they've always focused on heavily on multi-threading, but like the very base renderer itself is still very single-threaded and still re- requires basically a lot of synchronization in an area that limits this the CPU speed uh, essentially to a single-threaded kind of environment. And they talked about changing that up to Vulkan, and which is really cool. Um, they went to very in depth on that, and they also had presentations showing off essentially the game in uh, its next state which will be when it starts moving into its massively multiplayer online phase and that required something that i talked about in my videos about a year and more or so ago now and then before that as well where uh, they basically need some way to split up all these simulation tasks for all the players and for all the, the systems in the game because one server is not enough for that and then they go through this in this presentation describing essentially how they'll have clients connect to some, like, to some sort of, like, layer server that just takes, you know, care of, like, stats and things like that, but then actually farms out the simulation to server nodes on the side that connect to that server. And it's like this kind of weird lattice to essentially multiply the amount of processing power that can be used for any single geographical area in the game. Uh, That is supposed to be coming online at the end of 2022, based upon their current projections. So that's when the game should start taking its more end shape. And to show this off, uh, in total, they went through the new solar system that should be entering the game at that point, which is Pyro. And that's like a lawless, you know, criminal solar system that's out of the jurisdiction of this empire in the game and they show off basically what I would imagine is like an immersive sim style mission uh, in the Star Citizen world where you go to an area to achieve some objective and there's multiple ways you can complete that path based upon your relationship with the criminal organization there. You can fight them, you can agree to trade with them, whatever, you can sneak in. That's kind of what it's about. Shows off a lot of really awesome tech in terms of, well, the usual like planet stuff, like kind of, uh, how do you call it? Microsoft Flight Simulator style clouds in the atmosphere, uh, weather systems, you know, really cool time of day changes. There's so much (laughs) going on with Star Citizen. Um, I think it's pretty exciting. And, uh, I, am just curious about what I'm, I've kind of very much so immersed in the lore of this game, immersed in the development of it since they're so open with it, but you two are coming into this as outsiders only ever having really heard of it, mainly from me and my videos. I don't know. You watched part of this presentation. What did you guys think?
1: Yeah. So I, I've kind of followed this off and on. I have another friend of mine, uh, who's really into this as well. And it's, You guys talk so excitedly about this in a way that's kind of (laughs) infectious, um, but it's fascinating. And I did watch a bunch of this presentation. And the first thing that sticks out to me beyond anything else is, you know, it has been in development for a long time, but I'm actually really fascinated and kind of encouraged by what they're able to do because there really is no other game being developed right now that has this kind of development cycle where essentially they're like, okay, infinite dev time, effectively and Just the desire to push PC hardware in unique and interesting ways Nobody else is doing this and while it hasn't always gone smoothly and it has it's taking a long time I think the results are really fascinating and we're finally starting to see the fruits of that and I feel like with this presentation in particular um, I haven't really kept up with it since your last video actually uh, but I actually saw a lot of interesting gameplay concepts. And it really got me thinking about not just the technology behind it, which is amazing, but also like the core design and what they're trying to do here. Cause you know, fundamentally I don't like MMO games uh, and it comes down to the fact that most of them are essentially, it's all about filling meters, uh, checking boxes, you're going around getting loot, you're repeating things over and over again. And it's all about just like building out this like stat sheet and just As far as my experience has been, I don't think that they're really really interesting. They're basically Skinner boxes in my Mm -hmm. (laughs) estimation. The thing about (laughs) Star Citizen though, is that it does seem to be bringing a lot of concepts that I really do enjoy, like the immersive sim stuff. But it's the fact, and you said this earlier, Alex, is that it's uh, a physicalized game, right? It's not just about these big menus. Uh, It essentially requires players to actually role play uh, to be effective. And it's not just about, say, like, there's no, like, raid loops where you just like, well, I'm just going to run this raid over and over again with these people and get things. You know, it's not that kind of experience. They're really trying to make something profoundly different that's, to me, almost harkens back to the original promise of what an MMO could be. Like, when we started talking about this in the late 90s, there was a lot of wonder about it. But then it all just kind of got gamified in a way that... Some people love, and I'm not knocking it, I, I understand the appeal there, it's just not for me. Uh, and the best taste I ever got of it was I did actually play Planetside a lot back in the day. And I always got this feeling that there was something there that was really interesting, uh, but it was never fully realized and there was a lot of limitations. This feels like it's taking that idea and like running in like the craziest directions you could imagine. Um, and I still don't know how it's all going to turn out, but what I saw there, uh, just that mission alone, the fact that that's in there in that way, and just knowing what, what I've learned about the overall structure of everything, it's appealing, I have to say.
0: Well, looking at the uh, the demonstration they did of that specific mission where they went through in three different ways, um, essentially, it looked like you were trying to acquire some kind of artifacts. The first run through was basically to um, trade for it, as you would normally. The second run through was basically to uh, uh, (laughs) just attack them and take it. (laughs) You ended up getting shot out of the sky on Escape. And then the third way through, which was probably the most interesting, was the stealth route, where you wait until night. Everybody's kind of packed up and gone to sleep, and then it was just kind of like classic stealth gameplay, right? But in that area, we actually saw just how much density there was in that particular level design. And um, it was, I think you mentioned, Alex, it was like an immersive sim, but it was sort of classic Deus Ex style infiltration. Um, And it looks quite phenomenal, but um, there's sort of things about it, which I'm, I'm kind of curious about on a sort of logistical level, which is, first of all, this is really dense content. Can they actually hold this up for an entire game? That's my first question. Second question is, um, there seems to be a lot of stuff that um, typically is done automatically for you. So, you know, for example, in that first run where you acquire the artefacts, typically in a space game, you'd probably stay in your spaceship in order. You'd navigate some menus and you'd have the artefacts and that would be it. So I guess my question is, are they actually overcomplicating things. You know, the the basic jobs. I mean, you know, basic trading in elites, for example, going all the way back to the eighties, it was essentially a menu based thing. Whereas with this it looks as though you actually have to do some of the Heavy lifting, and isn't <laughs> isn't that the dream? To be a bit dull. I mean, yeah, that, is, that, it, yeah, that's is funny. it the dream though, or is it just going to be you know basically you're you're paying to do manual labour <laughs> game?
1: But rich, does, is it fun to click on a menu versus like actually infiltrating a base and like actual gameplay? Yeah. It seems like well, a- that's
0: the option. That's yeah. the option, but the first option was simply to buy the artifact. Right?
1: <laughs> and the fact yeah, that that is I, an option is interesting, right? Because yeah, uh, it adds player choice but, there.
0: Okay, but can it be held up for the for the whole game? And yeah. what if you, you know, you just want to do some basic trading, and you're in a hurry. You
2: know. Okay, so I'd actually say um, the base gameplay loop of Starcist and uh, is a little bit not about just getting things done in a hurry. So it is a bit anti. Like UI driven, uh, you know, drag and drop, uh, you know, worrying about stats kind of stuff that John was talking about because. With 3.15 that just came out, um, it's physicalized inventory, so that thing that you have to pick up, that artifact there, you have to actually have it on your person, you have to bring it in your ship, and if you want to stow it away somewhere, you have to go to a, a location to actually stow it away. It, it exists as an object in the game world. It's a bit like Skyrim in that aspect. Uh, you know, Skyrim, you actually have to pick up the object and move it from place to place, and it has to be stored in some area. Um, so in that aspect, it is very... It is not meant, I think the base gameplay loop in the game is meant for the hardcore player. And yes, maybe it requires manual labor, um, but I guess it's meant for people who like that kind of thing. People who play like farming simulator games or, <laughs> or, you know, Euro Truck Simulator. What about the question of density then? This is going to be a huge
0: game with, you know, and this is like a mission that you can see that months, if not years of development time has gone into, into building it up. Can they actually do this for an entire game?
2: I think that's going to be like a ten-year plan, honestly. Uh, based on the density of everything you see here, the way they build out the game is not like your No Man's uh, Sky or any procedural gen game. It's they build like archetypes of gameplay missions and even dedicated gameplay missions with like very interesting um, like dialogue and uh, set pieces and things like that. Uh, and they do it over like the the span of an entire solar system, and that takes a lot of time and. What they've been trying to do over the last couple of years is making a way so that it's, instead of it being completely driven by designers, it's driven by the game economy and things like that. And that stuff that when it comes into fruition at the end, it will mean that this game uh, probably will be have a much slower, I would say, development time than your typical game in terms of like how many missions they can generate. It's not going to be... It's not going to be like, I don't know how you, how you describe it, it's not going to be some like procedural gen thing. It will be actually very dedicated and you'll be waiting kind of like Destiny, I'd imagine, on like a new mission loop to come out or something like that. Uh, based upon what I've seen so far of the development. Because it is, like you said Rich, it's going for very uh, tightly designed scenarios and not so much so, oh you have a million things to do. Uh, that are kind of uninteresting. Rather, it's trying to give you something smaller you soft. scoped and interesting. Yeah, Sorry. it's it's <laughs> trying to avoid you know the open world bloat while being a huge open world game, which is um, I think that's commendable. Uh, I also think, like you said, though, it brings up huge questions of why promise 100 star systems when uh, you know they are currently into the second star system in terms of getting design out there. Um, Yeah, like it's obviously never going to reach that 100, uh, in my lifetime unless they come up with some amazing way to proceduralize these things in a, in a beautiful way. So I think that the skepticism is completely healthy, but just watching, when I watch that presentation and I think like, oh man, I'm so tired of just navigating UIs the entire time. I actually do like seeing conversation in a game and things like that. Uh, those are all things that really appeal to me as a gamer. And I, I've played enough EVE Online in my life to know I'm, I don't want to do that old stuff anymore. Uh, and I want to try something new. So that's why it got me excited.
1: The, the thing that's interesting to me is that uh, different game, but I'm a little bit reminded of something like Death Stranding, where it's a game that tried to solve some fundamental issues with like a certain type of game where they essentially looked at, OK, what's boring about an open world game? Uh, the big problem is going from waypoint to waypoint. That's what, you know, you you played Far Cry 6, Alex. You're just basically yes. <laughs> walking from one place to the other. And what happens between there usually isn't very interesting. Whereas Death Stranding actually tried to put real gameplay in that and made you think about, you know, actually navigating the terrain, how much stuff you're carrying, you know. There's a lot of interesting concepts there that if you look at it from the perspective of, well, isn't that tedious? Uh, you know, you start to wonder, but by unstreamlining this stuff, uh, you start to find joy in just ex- exploration again, and, you know, just actually being in the world. And I think that's kind of what I gather they're trying to do here with Star Citizen, is solve some of these issues. Uh, it's just like you say, Alex, the, the task of doing it at the scale they're trying to do it at that level of quality is so high that it's not something that could be done like a normal game in terms of development. So I think that's why it is what it is.
2: In terms of tech, uh, the one last thing I wanna talk about is that in that part of that presentation where they described how they are implementing Vulkan, uh, which was fascinating in its own right. If you wanna ever learn about what it means to use a low-end or low-level low, um, low level API in a game, uh, that presentation is very enlightening. Uh, so if you just wanna learn about that. But at the end of it, they go through uh, features that they're gonna be taking off uh, after Vulkan's in, in this upcoming year. They mentioned Variable Rate Shading was the first one they're going to go in. FSR and DLSS, so if you want to have the game run better, that's always nice. As well as Bindless Assets or Textures, which is another feature brought in uh, by you know, level uh, APIs like DX12 and Vulkan. But then after that, um, they immediately said, but we want to do ray tracing. And the three effects that they mentioned that they want to have in the game are GI, Reflections, and Shadows. So. If the game comes out with those things eventually, that'll be very cool. I'll definitely check it out. But in the meantime, the next time I think I'm going to cover the game on the channel is when Vulcan goes in just to show like what it does for the CPU performance in the game. Cause that's very interesting. And then eventually when, uh, this server merging and meshing uh, comes online in its first iteration. I'll check it out then and, well, watch the channel. How much is playable right now, Alex, by the way? Like in co-op. 3.15 is all of Stanton's system and all the missions in there. So uh, I don't know.
1: I'm kind of wondering, you know, there could be a fun video where I, I almost want to go on a tour with you uh jump into the game knowing very little about how it plays and just like record our experience of bumbling through star citizen while you guide me around like an idiot (laughs) i
2: I would love that that could Uh, be a fun thing we would get trashed probably by like pro players which i like but let's do it we'll do we'll do it sometime john
1: people let us know if you want to see me uh bumbling around in star citizen (laughs) with alex that, that could be a fun one (laughs)
0: I do remember, Alex, actually. I think it was almost two years to the day that you said the next Star Citizen video you were going to do would be when they implement Vulcan.
2: Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) And here here we are
0: two years later.
2: I guess (laughs) that's what happened. Pandemic gets in the way of development, Uh, I guess. uh, The
0: reason I remember it is because we've just had EGX, and I think you said that two EGXs ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anything more to add about uh, Star Citizen? Are we up to speed there? I'm up to speed, Captain. Up to speed, good. Well, let's move on to the next topic then. Um, So Will Judd looked at this. Um, We had the launch this week of the AMD Radeon RX 6600, which is as the name implies, a cut-down version of the 6600 XT. Um, seems to be $330 MSRP, um, but I'm not sure anybody actually got it at that price at launch. Um, just been looking over Will's benchmarks here. Um, well, essentially, it seems to be very, very close to the um, RTX 3060, um, a good degree slower in some games, a good degree faster in others, but that's its ballpark and that's where it's priced. Obviously, has less RAM, 8 gigs versus 12 gigs in the uh, 3060. The mysterious 12 gigs in <laughs> the Um And, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are kind of underwhelmed by it. I think the problem is that the lower you go in the stack, the more value you want to see, right? And you're not seeing the value here, really. Um, there's no game-changing uh, adjustment to the status quo. It's it's a 3060 level card available for 3060 level money. The difference being ray tracing performance looks to be really disappointing, as you would expect, um, bearing in mind that the 6600 XT wasn't so great. Um, it scales according to the rest of the, uh, of the lineup, as you would imagine. Um, FSR is available now. Um, I guess the question there is, I mean, here's the thing. They're still talking about this similar to the way NVIDIA talks about this as a 1080p card. AMD is talking about, sorry, similar to the way NVIDIA talks about the 3060 as a 1080p card. AMD is talking about this uh, 6600 in the same way. But really, you can hit CPU limits at 1080p very easily. This is, to my mind, another one of those 1440p cards. Um, but it doesn't quite have the the range of features um, or good enough performance or memory to really warrant a kind of um, proper face-off against the 3060. So kind of like a lot of shrugged soldier, um, shoulders on this one. Alex, what do you think?
2: Um, I've been decrying the value in this space not just because of the chip shortage and semiconductor issues uh, but just in general even at msrp uh, i find the 3060 okay still should be cheaper in my opinion and not with 12 gigs of ram Um, but this to me is just kind of like so uninteresting it just doesn't have any of the things you'd want uh, for this price point it should be should be within the 200 something range uh not 200 usd but like 250 to 280 i almost feel like it feels like where we should be around right now uh in the current evolution of technology because if you're buying this right now you're limiting yourself to i would say in a lot of ways 1080p with games that don't use forward-looking features um, and that's a lot of, you know, 330 USD MSRP. That's a lot of money to sink into something that has very little legs to stretch. Um, and I don't I don't like that. There's a lack of, lack of utility there.
1: It feels like if you're spending that much already, you may as well jump up a little more.
2: Yes, yes,
0: exactly. If we are talking about notional MSRPs, the, the notional MSRP of the um, 3060 Ti is seventy dollars more, and in which case you get a massive, gigantic chunk of extra performance. Um so you know let's look at Death Stranding, which is an AMD uh favoring um I mean it's 30%, 28% of extra performance, um, for, for that extra $70 and obviously far superior ray tracing. On top of that, I just don't see the value on these lower end cards. The 3060, hmm, okay. I mean, it's a difficult one to to, ju- to justify, really. I mean, we really do need to see some lower end cards that are actually targeting 1080p. I think it's pretty much only games like Flight Simulator and um, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 that actually really put this class of hardware through its paces at 1080p. So, yeah, difficult one to justify. Um, It's just not really exciting. I guess that's why we didn't do a main video on it. Uh, Similar with the the 6600 XT, really, it's, um, you know, it's it's kind of like unexciting downward scaling with less value. All of the value wins this generation have been at the higher end, um, assuming that you could get them. You know, that's, that's been the problem. I don't really have too much more to say about the 6600. Um, so I guess we should move on. I don't know if you've got anything to add, John.
1: Uh, the only thing I would add is that the only chance it stands is if they bring back cool, crazy, stupid GPU box art If the the packaging has insane stuff on it, then call it like the Asylum 3 or something. Yeah, what we
0: needed is the uh, RX 6600 Evil Commando.
1: Yeah, bring back the Evil Commando, exactly.
2: You know, based upon what we're seeing, though, from Intel, it seems like they're embracing the nerdy nature of GPUs uh, with like Battle Mage and
1: Arc and
2: blah, blah, blah. I I think we're going to start seeing some really stupid... Box I hope so. very soon it's, enough. It's, it's I time. I so. <laughs> <least to> <laughs> so, you know, just my
0: final thoughts on on this sort of GPU situation is that um, AMD got it right with Ryzen. You know, they saw, they actually delivered disruption in that marketplace. They did something exciting and new. You know, you were getting like eight cores at crazily low prices. There just isn't that level of disruption with RDNA 2, which are, ah, you know, uh, viewed in a vacuum, actually really good parts, but within the sort of competitive landscape, one step
1: behind. And that's interesting because they basically came and stepped in Intel's bowl with Ryzen, and now it kind of feels like Intel's uh, returning the favor. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that how that plays out. But you know, that's the impression I'm getting here.
0: It's uh, it's a really weird situation, and I kind of think that it's maybe just the case that um, uh, the the margins aren't there. to to do disruption. You know what I mean? You know, you've got to have eight gigs of RAM uh, minimum. That's going to be expensive. Uh, You've got to have a decent sized die. That's going to be expensive. There just hasn't been the kind of uh, malaise in the market that we had in the CPU side uh with graphics so it's been a bit more difficult for, for amd this time around
1: as a quick aside though did you see the uh related to amd uh seamus blackley this week revealed the thing about uh amd and intel for the yeah. original xbox like i don't think that was ever known but <laughs> i never heard that before. apparently amd had helped them on like early prototypes and all the announcement demos they showed on xbox for using amd hardware and then they got up on stage with amd guys sitting right in the front row and it said, ah, we're partnering with Intel. <laughs> I'm just like, that's, uh, that's pretty intense, I gotta say.
2: <laughs> you know, thinking back of that era though, like what would it have it used CPU-wise? Cause I think the Pentium 3 for the Xbox's release date is actually not bad uh, because the Pentium 3 at that time was actually better than the Pentium
1: 4's coming
2: out in a lot of ways. So, you know, what would it have been for AMD? I
1: don't know. Some Athlon, I guess. I assume. Hopefully, not a Duron. That would, yeah, <laughs> that, that would yes. have been not good. P O S. No, I, yeah. I don't really know. I mean, they were. <laughs> I assume they were only talking about it, obviously, as CPU because back then AMD was just making CPUs. I don't think they had acquired ATI yet, so they weren't in the graphics space. But it could have been AMD and in and uh, NVIDIA in one box, which would have been fascinating.
0: Yeah that that was. Uh, Quite remarkable, that story. And um, there was just crazy things happening in that time in general. I mean, Microsoft then went on to basically acquire um, the cell PPE core for the Xbox 360. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, yeah, this, this, uh, this processor you're doing actually looks really good. Can we have it in Xbox 360, please? And they did. That's what happened. <laughs> crazy stuff. Okay, well, let's move on to the next topic. Mixed feelings about this. Uh, GTA Remastered has been officially announced um, and essentially what that is is GTA 3, I think Vice City and San Andreas, is that right? Um, In one pack, we promised uh, gameplay improvements, we promised big graphical enhancements. The old versions of of those three games have been delisted. You won't be able to buy them. This has been accompanied by unnecessarily aggressive, highly unwelcome legal action against the modding community, uh, which automatically sets them up for a PR nightmare, in my opinion. Uh,
1: John, thoughts? Uh, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think all of us are kind of staunchly against this, and I feel like they're essentially um, attacking the community that has supported them for so many years, and I don't think I think there's very little chance that these mods and such would have impacted the sales of whatever product they're putting out, and all this does is create controversy where there should not be, right? Especially because, I mean, I assume the point of GTA Remastered more than anything is to allow modern console players to get in on these games again, uh, and they did not have access to all this stuff, so I don't know. I, I really think this is a bad move on their part, and it just it creates ill will for the product. Coming out of the gate, and you can already see it. So I'm sure it's still going to sell. It would have sold sold regardless, but uh, this is a very bad way to kick things off. I think.
0: I think just to stress that we will look at these games when they're released entirely objectively, and but it's just it's just the surrounding um, uh, sort of aggression against the existing communities out there that is wholly objectionable, and it's it's going to sort of come back and. Bite them in the bottom, I suggest. It's really not impressive at all. Um, because it kind of suggests that Rockstar may be slightly worried about these mods being better than their official version. That's the kind of underlying current that you, you get from from this kind of wholly aggressive behavior. It
1: kind of feels like I'd imagine they're setting this up for essentially the original games running, you know, with like higher frame rates and resolutions. But I, I mean... I, it, it doesn't seem like we can expect massive visual overhauls necessarily, which would have been interesting, but quite an expensive endeavor, I'd imagine. So, I mean, and just having these like that in that form is still appealing. Uh, so there is something there for sure, but we'll have to wait and see on that, I guess.
0: So they're removing the old versions from Steam, but I'm curious as to whether the console versions... On, like, the Xbox marketplace are going to go as well. Do we know that? I don't know about that right now. Oh, off isn't, the top aren't of my those head. just
1: like those awful Android conversions?
0: Um, yes. Uh, I think on the PlayStation side of things, they actually had the PS2 games running under emulation.
1: At those weird
2: resolutions, yeah.
1: I would get rid of those anyway, just because they're <laughs> bad versions of those games, <laughs> uh, well, to be honest.
2: I, I, I think the general idea, though, behind removing the, these is because they don't want to have mindshare. Um, how do you say it, competition for their release? Uh, if the reviews are negative, then people will be buying the old version. I mean, it's all money to
1: them. It's a little strange that they want to get rid of it. It's like, oh no, we don't like this new product, so let's buy your old product. It's
2: like <laughs> it's buy your old one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're still getting the money. Uh, that's I don't understand it from that perspective. I also don't understand it from the preservation perspective at all, where I don't understand when games are delisted, unless they have some sort of contractual obligation to stop selling things because they're using music from Linkin Park after five years or something like that. I don't know, you know, like that kind of thing. That's stupid. That's stupid that that happens, but it happens. Uh, But in this case, it's just very arbitrary. And, you know, at some point in time, almost like the George Lucas, you know, Uh, you know, re-releases of Star Wars, it becomes really hard to actually find quality versions of the original material. It's not like a book you can reprint off of Google Scholar or something like that. They're out out there now, though, by
1: the way, Alex. They're really good. Oh, really? Just saying. Are
2: they like... they're like 35 millimeter prints yeah, that were 4 yeah, would up. Yeah. Oh, okay, I gotta see that. I gotta <laughs> see that. Uh, I still haven't seen that. I've seen only like the the re-demastering efforts, uh, essentially uh, from years ago. It's the same attitude, right? And it sucks, which is to say that uh, hey, we've got this new
0: version of the game you used to love. Uh, you, you don't need the old version anymore. So we're actually going to remove choice uh, and not let you play the original versions. In my mind, if the new versions are great and fantastic, they should be able to stand up on their own merits, right? So why you'd want to to, to basically remove the old game, annihilate the community, threaten legal action, um, which is questionable, to say the least.
1: I like that. Annihilate. <laughs> annihilate them.
0: It, it's just um, basically, it, it sets... A really bad tone for this project when really it could be something really impressive, we just don't know yet. Um, no trailers of anything have been released yet, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> right, well, let's move on to our next topic um, Metroid Dread. So, obviously, we reviewed this, we reviewed this on Switch OLED, and uh, aside from some momentary performance drops, it seems to be a pretty clean bill of health. Um, I think John did something like five hours worth of uh, performance capture. And we showed like, you know, what happened when it wasn't 60 frames per second and it was the exception rather than the rule. However, we're getting reports now, um, a lot of reports that there are performance tips in the game, but we can't replicate them. John, tell us more.
1: Yeah, so I've been talking to some folks on Twitter as well as, you know. Uh, supporters and such, and we've been kind of comparing notes and noticing some very strange things. I think the one that's probably easiest to look at is right here. uh, This one fellow on Twitter, he uh, shared a video that he captured with me, or he filmed a video of his Switch running in portable mode, an original Switch. uh, In the very first room of the game, just running back and forth, the frame rate was dropping like crazy, right? And then I did the same on the OLED Switch. I also tested on my regular... 2017 model with the cartridge and can't replicate that at all. And I've been through that area multiple times. Uh, And of course, you know, you're seeing varying varying reports throughout. And so I'm starting to wonder about the nature of the performance dips. Like what could be causing these? Because the ones that I did encounter were very sporadic when they would occur. Like it wasn't always clear what was going on where you're just running through an area you've been through many times and all of a sudden the frame rates in the 40s. And it lasted about 20 to 30 seconds at most in my case. And I've played through, I haven't finished the game yet. So, And I've heard that some of the very, very late game stuff, which I couldn't have shown anyway, uh, does actually have legitimate slowdown. But beyond that, this other stuff, um, it does actually seem quite variable from switch to switch. And the same goes with loading times where I've looked around and, you know, my loading time experience on the switch OLED, every, sc- ev- it takes about 15 to 20 seconds at absolute most uh, on timing between areas where some users are seeing like double that. And that's very strange. So we've been talking about that and I'm wondering, there could be several things I mean beyond there could be thermal throttling happening There could be the differences in the memory because the original older switches There was a change made to the memory for the Martico switch. I believe rich. Is that right? And then that persists obviously in the OLED switch um, It could be I've also gathered that some evidence that it's related to sleep mode for some people where somebody was running the game they were getting performance issues and then close the game, restart it, go back in, and it's just completely gone, uh, and it's fine. So it seems like there's this wide mix of different little things with performance related to this combination of all these different factors that is basically means that some people are having a less good time than others, and it's not something we've really ever seen often, where where you would see an, an actual difference between one console and another, And, I mean, what do you think about this in terms of what could theoretically be causing this?
0: We're sort of operating on the principle that a console is a fixed platform and that every one of them is the same, right? So what you then have to do is to isolate areas where there are differences. So, number one, we know that uh, I think there's reduced latency on the uh, Mariko uh, switches, which includes the OLED model. But that's one potential avenue for investigation. Uh, the other thing, I mean you're talking about loading times. Um, the one thing that you that isn't constant is the storage medium. Um, so that's another vector that we should look at to see what the issue is. Now the problem comes <laughs> when if we go back once again to the the guy on Twitter who filmed his screen, as far as we're aware, he was using an original switch, but um, it always did that, even if you did a hard reset. That's
1: what he said, it yeah.
0: always. Yeah, it always produced this issue. And it's kind of curious because when you see what's happening there, you lose performance when uh, the main character moves into the light and you get the performance back when the character moves out of the lights, which kind of suggests a GPU issue, right? But we can't replicate it on, and it's not that much of an issue. (laughs) It's it's not as if we're talking about a massive amount of particles cropping up on screen or whatever. So this really is a mystery. And um, quite what is causing this? I just don't know.
1: And I guess it kind of ties into the nature of the slowdown that I did find in my video where it was very sporadic, right? So if it's unpredictable and sporadic in that sense, I could conceivably see a point where it's just more so on some units than another and
0: i was thinking on your slowdown that it was a, uh, maybe there's some kind of dynamic background streaming system that attempts to um uh, to stream in way you know it must have some idea of where you're going in the map and tries to preempt
1: uh, uh, the, the streaming side but you can run through these areas like you can run through an area 10 times and it'll be completely fine every single time and then just randomly like the 11th time you run through and it drops and then it recovers after you know 20 30 seconds uh and it doesn't matter which direction you come from what you're doing that just happens and it's it's very very unusual for a console game to drop in that way
2: since there's so much theoretical that we could say that based upon hardware and uh, uh, user experiences and all these things, it could just be software instability that crops up over a greater testing range. Uh, maybe you didn't see it in your playthrough because you just happen to have that small percentage of time that where it doesn't happen as often. But other people, as the testing range blows up with so many more users, then it starts to crop up more and this could just be something that they just need to patch out of the game garbage collection popping up. I don't know.
1: When I did my testing for the frame rate analysis, I mean, we did it in two sessions and each time the game was started up fresh. So no uh, sleep mode was used. And I'm wondering if that factors in as well.
0: I mean, the one piece of video evidence we have suggests that all of this is an issue. (laughs) That's the problem.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's all theoretical still. It's just, it's weird to see this kind of thing happening and seeing people complain about it in this way. It is kind of weird.
0: I kind of wish we had some sort of methodology for getting to the bottom of it, but what can you do? You need to have basically like 50 switches in front of you.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bunch of switches. And that's not yeah. our job. That's no.
2: that's someone else's job,
0: yes. by the way. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> good stuff. Um, well, let's move on to our final news topic. Last week we were talking about, I think it was the cotton collection on Switch, which um, essentially brought a bunch of Sega Saturn Mm-hmm. Uh, titles together, uh, had really bad input lag, and um, hackers have accessed the game on Switch and come to some very curious conclusions about the nature of the emulation. Uh, John, tell us more.
1: Yeah, so some some guys over on GBA Temp actually uh, kind of uncovered that the emulator used in there, uh, you can actually inject other game ISOs directly into it and play Sega Saturn games on your Switch, which very is nice. fascinating. Apparently, uh, from what I understand here, it's their emulation technology. They call it the Zebra Engine. And that's, you know, basically their emulation technology. But um, the emulator itself seems to be, from what they're saying, again, we can't confirm this directly. It's just from what the people have found that it seems to be based on a variant of SSF, which is a closed source emulator from, like, two decades ago. I think this was even the one that Sega officially uh, supported at some point and allowed Saturn games to be playable on the PC. There's even like a picture of Yuji Naka sitting at a desk in front of a PC, holding a Saturn pad or something, playing Knights on there. Uh, So that, it's something that's been around a long time and it's a pretty good emulator. It's just really weird that it uh, supports this. Um, But unfortunately, You know even if you were to get into this it still has the input lag issues that I mentioned last time so you know every game suffers from that problem but the fact that people are digging into it now and starting to explore around it does actually give me hope that someone might actually crack that nut and figure out how to actually improve this you know what I mean like there is so it does feel hopeful that at the end when these guys are done with it we may have like essentially a a nice Saturn emulator that's possibly improved uh that you could just use on a hacked switch basically so i don't know it's it's cool I, I think it's neat to see and it's um it's kind of unexpected to see this come out of that project
2: finding out that it's essentially an emulator that it exists already in the semi-public domain uh, to a certain degree is always a little disappointing to me to see that a commercial project just picked up something uh i mean not that it reeks of laziness or anything like that, but it seems like, oh, they're just they're just kind of selling you the rights to the game again that they happen to have. Um, I, I would have maybe liked to have then seen instead of that, a a more bespoke. Uh, instead of just using the emulator, one that actually is like tailoring the game uh, to the platform by redoing the code natively. uh, And it would get gotten rid of this issue as a result probably as well with the input latency, I'd imagine.
1: To be fair though, Alex, I think the problem here is that there's no other way to do this than emulation or completely rebuilding from scratch since none of the source would exist for these games, right? So like nothing's left. So they couldn't just port it. Uh, This is a big problem with a lot of the Old developers back then uh, I will I do want to at least to be fair to them uh, the actual uh, City Connection guys put out an a note saying that they have confirmed that their games do have an input lag problem and they are investigating it and have expressed the desire or the plan to update the title to improve the latency so Um, At the very least, they seem to have come out and acknowledged it. So that's also a good first step to getting these fixed. Well, let's move on to some DF CODTED discussion.
0: A bit late to the party with this one, but we are going to be uh, rolling out with some Forza Horizon 5 coverage um, shortly and some pretty amazing stuff we hope to have lined up uh, for a bit further on down the road. Now, John, you took an early look at the uh, press build for Forza Horizon 5, is essentially the first hour of the game. What are your first impressions?
1: Yeah, we kind of came into that late since you're we like, wait, we have access to this? And uh, <laughs> we, we got it and jumped in and I installed it. and um, So I am a big fan of the series, of course. And the thing I want to say first is that Playground Games, they are truly uh, among the best in the industry when it comes to executing a perfect introduction to a game. They understand everything about what draws somebody into a game. It's this use of of music, of interesting scenario, of just, like, putting the content out there in a way that's so, like, impactful. Like, it's actually, like, it moved me playing through the intro of this game, right? Like, I, I'm no joke. Like, it's just, you almost just feel like these emotions washing over you as, as you start to play the game. It's just the way to do it is so wonderful. And it's just this introduction to to mexico you know they start by just showing all the landscapes and then you see them loading cars into a plane this big cargo plane you're like wait are they going to drop them out of course they drop them out and it's you know you parachute down into the middle of a volcano basically and you're just like blasting down the side of that volcano and just the way it's all seamlessly tied, they did the thing that we saw in Forza Horizon 4, basically, where it's they're trying to show all the unique environments in the game and tie them seamlessly together by basically swapping between different vehicles and areas all over Mexico. And my goodness, it's just it's it's a masterwork. Uh, <laughs> it's just what I'm actually getting goosebumps just thinking about it, which is a which is a rare thing. That's why I'm kind of rambling here, just. I love it. I just love it. It's it's everything I love about these types. Of, they understand what why driving games were so impactful. It may be open world, but they've nailed that thing that Ridge Racer did so well, where it's just that perfect fusion of music and just design and just handling that feels pitch perfect. Uh, it really drew me in. But then there's the technology. So this was, this was fascinating to see um, because we've known now for a while they have a quality and a performance mode, right? And just like Forza Horizon 4, annoyingly, you do have to restart when selecting the different modes. I, I assume this is down to the way they're handling, you know, certain like object placement and the way they're fading stuff in, it's it's different. But I actually started in the performance mode. And thankfully, uh, there's some, some first impressions I can say. Image quality is great. It does actually appear to be native 4K. I haven't done any pixel counts though, but every time I looked closely at the screen, it was 4K. So it doesn't actually seem to be using DRS. Um, Also, the motion blur shutter speed, they finally got it right in the 60 yes. FPS. Net. It has the <laughs> correct shutter speed. This was always an option on the PC version of Forza Horizon 4, but they didn't do it <laughs> for the Xbox version, and it drove me nuts. It's there. It's awesome. Uh, They got that right. Uh, The main thing I see is that in the performance mode, there's just much more aggressive like LOD pop in. Like you see that sort of where they do that dithered transparency effect is like objects kind of fade into view. Uh, you see a lot more of that happening. I didn't find it especially distracting, but it is there. Um, so essentially if you're sensitive to that, it looks like the quality mode kind of clears that up and you just get more overall distant detail in that mode. But I do not feel it's worth sacrificing the frame rate in a, in a game like this, because it just fundamentally feels much more responsive when running at 60 frames per second, as you'd expect. Um, and the other thing I guess I would say is that, so the flow of things is very similar to four and that, you know, you go up to an event, it loads in, it shows like your avatar and like a quick little introduction thing. And then it pops you into the race being that it runs from the SSD. Now, all of that stuff is very, very fast. Whereas on Forza Horizon 4, on like Xbox One X, for instance, you know, every time you get a an event, you're waiting. There's a lot of these loading screens between stuff. Everything just takes time. Uh, it wasn't horrible or anything, but, you know, it kind of interrupts the flow. Where here, it's just basically very tiny pause between each thing. Um, which is awesome. So, obviously, there's going to be a whole lot more to say in the videos, but the first impressions are just, you know phenomenal for me.
0: It's awesome. Is Alex going to ask about ray facing?
2: My, <laughs> my, my, my uh, well, did, Do they have Forza Vista in there?
1: Actually, they might, but I didn't actually check that out or see that yet. Uh, I was just going through all the original introduction stuff.
2: In terms of graphics, the, the one thing that I didn't notice watching footage um, was essentially... Um, I think like the macro image in Forza Horizon 4 and earlier was always good, but when you'd like zoom into the ground in those games, you definitely see it's like very texture-based and things like that, you know, scattered objects. Uh, as the geometry, but now it seems like they're using some sort of way to do their ground that has much more geometric detail. It's one thing I already noticed right away. Um, So that is very good and would definitely explain perhaps why this game is probably heavier than the ones before coming out before it. Uh, Another thing that I noticed in the footage as well too uh, is that the previous Forza games definitely did not have any sort of volumetric lighting simulation. Uh, It was, you know, just like clear skies and then like distant, then like, you know, like distant, atmospherics, uh, but nothing like up
1: close to the camera. And when you're going through like, the jungle canopies there, you can actually see like shafts of light. But also Alex, they have the sandstorm that was shown off in the trailers. During one of the intro sequences, you actually see that wall of sand approaching you and drive into it. And it's a gorgeous volumetric effect going through there. It fills the whole area in a very convincing manner.
0: Um, we're going to have much more on Forza Horizon 5 soon, but uh, certainly the first impressions are stunning. Um, so quick talk about what we're doing on uh, the DF Supporter Program here. Um, so this week, uh, DF Retro Pickups returned, if you're on a retro tier. Uh, premium tier, as always, lots of early access and other nice goodies. Um, there's a there's talk here on the docket, John, over a debut of Patreon-exclusive magazine Memories. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, so this was something Audi came up with, um, where the idea is essentially... Going through old magazines, and it's it's a fun idea, and it's something we wanted to do for the patrons. We're essentially revisiting classic magazines. The twist this time uh, is that we want to get you involved, Richard. Going through some of the old Mean Machines magazines and uh, oh, no. Sega Saturn magazines, essentially magazines that you actually worked on, and uh, see see if we okay. can jog your your little, your memory there.
0: <laughs> well, that would be interesting to actually see if I can remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> because I just, you know, it is like a different person wrote uh, a lot of the stuff that I apparently wrote, and in some cases, I know that was the case, which for various reasons that we'll talk about during the content, I guess. But uh, yeah, very interesting. It's actually quite heartening from my perspective that a lot of the older magazines from the nineties they kind of don't really exist anymore. But you know, people have been picking up old copies from eBay or elsewhere. And digitizing them, uh, preserving them in PDF form so they can be enjoyed forever, and also trotted out uh, to embarrass the people that originally wrote that stuff. But yeah, looking forward to, uh, to to checking that out. That's gonna be fun. Okay, so let's move on to some DF Supporter Q&A. Yes, every week on Patreon we ask our users what they want to know about, and we get a big bunch of questions. We choose the best, and here we go. The first one from Angel. Perfect for PS5, Bravia TV auto HDR tone mapping. Discuss. So not so much a question, more a demand. Yeah. Go. <laughs> Will this be the future of TVs and consoles? No. Uh, where they talk <laughs> and tell each other their capabilities and come to an agreement. It could be useful for ease of setup for the not so techy, sav not so tech savvy of us out there. Um, So, John, from my perspective, this is already being done with HDMI 2.1 on Xbox, right? ALLM, uh, all of that business. And even on the PS5, it kind of says, hey, you've got an HDR screen. Let's let's talk to each other. Let's get this set up correctly. Are we kind of there already?
1: Kind of. I mean, it does seem like this is very specifically some mode that they've added to the Sony TVs for their screens but um like (laughs) to me like they they showed an example uh of just like gt7 with this auto hdr tone mapping turned on or off and on the off side it just shows the the white highlights getting blown out uh which shouldn't be the case if you actually set it up correctly so i guess the idea here is um I mean, to me on paper, it sounds similar to like the dynamic tone mapping feature that LG OLEDs have, you know, where you're essentially feeding it. You you just feed it the data and then the TV attempts to optimize itself for it. But that's usually less accurate Um, where I guess this is just like the same kind of thing. It's meant to take away the need to actually calibrate anything, I assume. So it's which, like you say, it's kind of like the Xbox stuff a little bit. It's just this is specifically for hdr but i guess i guess it's almost in line with like dolby vision from xbox where uh the nature of that there's less configuration required to get a good picture out of it without the uh highlights being clipped um but really with normal hdr 10 if you just configure it correctly and it's you know i say just but it's not that difficult i would say um you'll you'll have optimal results anyway so this this is pretty much just like the way to make it easier i guess
0: i'm just kind of wary of tying consoles to specific brands of tv uh you know i guess okay fair enough if you want to have some kind of um uh, specific reason to buy a particular brand of tv i guess sony would want to leverage the playstation 5 because it's you know mega successful 10 million out of there already and uh, you know the concepts that you can buy a tv that automatically integrates with that console great but on the other hand um i think we need to keep everything open and to have open standards and to uh and to ensure that that functionality can apply to any screen that can support it as opposed to just a sony one i think that's kind of where i'd the line
1: yeah i mean to me it's, it's it seems like a a non-issue where it's essentially it's or it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's literally just for people that want their HDR to work out of the box without touching anything, uh, but it's not necessary, right? You're not really gaining anything and it's probably still going to look less accurate than doing it by hand would, right? So, I mean, that's why I'm kind of, I'm a little baffled because I really don't like this kind of automatic dynamic stuff that much because it usually results in an artificial image that's either not quite right or, you know, that, that sort of thing. The other thing though, is that these are these Sony TVs. Now I need to double check on this. So, but if I recall, uh, a lot of these Bravia TVs were using a chipset for HDMI 2.1 that had issues with 120 FPS at 4k where it was essentially like throwing out some of the resolution, um, something like that. Like uh, maybe I need to research this again, but this, this was definitely an issue for a while on a lot of these sets. And I think it was down to something to do with the specific chips that they were using in there. Um, so there is a little bit of a concern on that as well.
0: Yeah, I guess it is just basically going to come down to, you know, do your research when it comes to choosing a good HDMI 2.1 display. And uh, we're still in the, firmly in the LG OLED camp.
1: What I don't know is if these are newer models than what has come before it. And that there might be a difference there. Uh, so I can't say for sure. but like you say do the research at first uh i still suggest i think the lg makes the best oleds right now so uh, i would still recommend that over any of the bravias just they have the best features their hdmi 2.1 implementation is top tier all the ports support it um it just works it's great
0: uh, next question from jonas larson Tagazade. One for you here, Alex. More and more PC games suffer from streaming slash compilation, shader compilation stutter. Kero, Far Cry 6. Why do we see these stutters? Is there anything you can do as a gamer to minimize them slash make them less noticeable?
2: Uh, having a VRR display will help to a certain degree, depending upon how far down these stutters happen. Another thing is there are technically out there Uh, For UE4 games, there are system config tweaks you can make that may help them out. While making the Kena video, I actually did get in contact with developers that uh, work on Unreal Engine 4 games and asked them about what they do and why this is such an issue. Uh, Apparently, the reason why it happens so often in Unreal Engine 4 games is because there's very little um, transparency in Unreal Engine 4 documentation about shader compilation or object destruction stutter. So like... Generating and streaming an object into the world actually doesn't cause stutter, usually in UE4, but it's like the object being removed from the pool of memory that does it. And, well, that's the way it is. Uh, (laughs) This is the way the engine works, unfortunately. We actually saw that happening for the exact same reason in Returnal as well, too. Uh, So... The engine is an issue. Uh, Technically, yes, like I was saying, Unreal Engine 4, you can add some things into the system config file. And you can read about those on the PC gaming wiki if you're ever interested in that. I think most of those are placebo. I tried them all out. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so honestly, the thing we need to push for, I think engine providers need to be better at allowing smaller developers to get an understanding of, performance health, and not just raw frame rate, and also pushing that in documentation. UE4 doesn't do a good job of it, according to what I've heard from developers working on UE4. Uh, other engines have had this issue for an eternity. Unity, for example. Godot just recently added in a thing to prevent this issue from occurring. I don't know. It's uh, it's an unfortunate thing, and I think it's uh, we as users are powerless against uh, what developers can actually do, which is, you know, profiling their game and making sure it doesn't happen in the first place. Powerless. 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 (sighs) The tide.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the classic example is, of course, uh, Batman Arkham Knight, where there were all manner of different sort of fixes that appeared. And, um, yeah, essentially, uh, somebody that works on the game just said that those fixes just don't do anything. (laughs) And it's just systemic problems they had doing the port. Uh, although I understand that there is actually some progress being made on an actual patch by the community to, to actually uh, resolve that long-standing one. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. But uh, again, it does seem to be down to the sort of modding community to step in when the developers don't, which is which is not ideal. But what can you do? Uh, let's move on to the next one. It's another one for you, Alex. What's going on? It's from Docs. Alex, could you do a quick recap on the state of Deathloop? They have released three patches to fix the stutter, with the third being in the beta branch before official rollout. If they haven't managed to fix it by now, does that look bad for the chances? I assume the chances of it being fixed. Also, any rumblings, <laughs> rumblings about Ubisoft fixing Far Cry 6? Running at 90 FPS plus uh, with VRR and still seeing stutter... It's nearly as obnoxious as playing at thirty
2: <laughs> FPS. <laughs> uh, I like this. I like this question. Oh, uh, okay, so I guess the first part is, uh, yeah. Uh, what was the first part? Again? <laughs> what was the first part? The first part? part was about death li- loop. And oh, it's definitely, definitely, yes. Okay, so sixty and one hundred twenty FPS currently in death loop for mouse feel is completely normalized uh, from my testing. The uh, ninety. Or above 60 FPS range, or I guess I would say above 120 FPS range, because I think the game supports up to 144 uh, from my testing when I did it like on a 1080p test, uh, or at least it says it does that in the menu. Uh, oof! Uh, th- the last time I tested that, that still was actually not proper uh, in a complete way. Yes, that does diminish my hope. Um, The only thing is, like, I can only report on this so many times in an official capacity. I have so much other work to do, and, you know, uh, I don't want to always constantly keep loading up games afterwards to to check if they're always working better. Um, I do do it on my own time uh, when I do do that. So I think from the community standpoint... Uh, What needs to be done is that there needs to be Steam Forum posts or Reddit posts for their official page that explain what is happening still. And don't use words like, it's stuttering. Say, the mouse is broken still at anything that is not 60 or 120 FPS. Keep posting about that if it's not working. And that's all, that's my recommendation there.
0: I think the problem there is that we're assuming that people can actually identify what the issue is. Right? Yeah,
2: I know, right? That's yeah. that's that that's is hard. the problem. But yeah. uh,
0: let's talk about the second part of, of
2: Dox's question the rumblings, Alex. <laughs> to tell us about <laughs> rumblings. Okay, so the rumblings are I have nothing official from Ubisoft about this. So I actually going to say, currently, don't expect anything because. Uh, it's, it did it in Far Cry 5, did it in Far Cry 4. The, the thing that changed over time was hardware, being able to prevent this from happening just by being stupidly fast, uh, usually, uh, in comparison to what the game really should arguably need. The one thing that might change, though, over time, is the uh, what's going on with VRAM utilization in the game, where I've had caldean uh, talking about the game uh, to me uh, online about how it's not properly uh, utilizing VRAM is one thing. He's measuring it himself internally, and he's been like duping the game to think it has more VRAM utilization and all these things. It's And he's come up with some interesting things. Also, the Far Cry modding community, uh, which I made a post about on Twitter, has uh, discovered some weird behavior with the MIPS in the game. So MIPS are, uh, you have your original super high-res 4K texture, let's say 4096 by 4096, and the MIPS are the versions of that texture that degrade it, uh, uh, geometrically or whatever, uh, downward always. So, like 4096 to 2048 to 512, whatever. Um, and they found out when the game uses the HD texture pack, uh, it just kind of loads up for some reason, always this like the nth chain MIP, like the really low re- lowest one it can possibly do. And if you rename these textures, if you rename these textures, it'll actually load up the highest resolution one. That's not good. Um, uh, so that could be an issue. Uh, I've seen it. So I, I didn't report on my, in my video because I just kind of ran out of time in the end to get it out in time. But this texture issue doesn't just happen with the HD texture pack. It happens without using it. And you can also see VRAM allocation issues uh, through playing the game on GPUs that definitely have more than 16 gigabytes of VRAM. Uh, even. So there's just some issue going on there. And I think that one, because it's happening to so many users, and it's probably an easier fix than getting rid of the engine stutter, because it's just allocation of VRAM. They obviously don't have this issue on something like uh, PlayStation 5, which has less, you know, like, you know, has like, what, 12-ish gigs of uh, system RAM or something like that in total. uh, They're not having this issue there. So it's definitely something that can be done in smaller RAM pools than what they currently are saying required for the game. Uh, so, I think that's one area that will be fixed. I don't think the stutter though will be fixed. Unfortunately, I just don't. I just. I just don't believe in their, their the team to do that. Honestly, yeah.
0: Well, you'd expect it to have been fixed years ago. That's the that's the issue, isn't it? It's kind of like a a problem. Uh, with that yeah. Okay, um, well, let's move on to the next question. Hi, DF team. I remember seeing a tweet from DF uh, saying you got a Starlink uh, to check for fast internet. What happened to it? Is it any good? Will you be testing it for cloud games? Thanks. It's from Demstor. Uh, I have Starlink um, because I live in a rural area which has got really limited fiber, um, and I can give hands-on impressions of Starlink. Still in the beta phase at the moment, but we're very close to it being... Rolled out as a, as a proper service. Um, from my perspective, it solved my download issues in that I was limited to 32 megabits uh, with my fiber connection. I can get to like 200 to, to 300 at any given point now. So, in terms of actually getting access to software, it solved my problems uh, and it is very good. Um, Will you be testing it for cloud gaming? Uh, this is where the problems come in. Um, it's not good for anything that requires latent, uh, uh, low latencies. So, for example, I find that I am easily, noticeably disadvantaged in games like uh, Halo Infinite and uh, Call of Duty. Uh, this came up during the, the the sort of test periods for those games. It's really sort of noticeable, actually. Um, if you do a speed test, you get a ping of about 35 milliseconds. Uh, and it's kind of just the nature of the beast, right? You know, you're beaming information to a satellite, which is then beaming it back down to earth. There's um, there's there's limitations there. Um, cloud gaming, I just had really bad experiences with both xCloud and Stadia. It's not really good for that. It's just picture breakup and no real consistency to the experience or the latency. So other people swear by it. They say it's fine. But for me, it just doesn't work. But um, it basically has solved the issue of me being able to access stuff a lot quicker. And um, that's, that's been great for me. But I wouldn't be recommending it over a good fixed link uh, uh, internet connection, you know, like a fiber optic connection that's actually got a decent amount of bandwidth to it. Um, but yeah, what are you guys doing for internet connections these days, Alex? You seem to be pretty sorted these days, right?
2: Yeah, I've got a, a cable connection here, one thousand down uh, and one hundred up. No wait, is it? Uh, it's like sixty up. Sorry. So it's it's very it's it's you know you know they do that usual disparity for consumer connections. Uh, I do uh, downloading on Steam using that Star Citizen launcher. Um, I think also as well on um you know uh, what was it like uh origin and things like that i do get like 100 megabytes per second plus download like 115 120 it's, it's pretty kind of like insane hard drives, <laughs> yeah it is and it, so like i download a game and it's usually like 10 15 minutes for like larger modern games it's pretty amazing um Uh, the one thing is though, like our, for, it's surprising, but we're, we're doing so much sharing of 4K video files these days amongst us or even 1080p. It still is technically a bottleneck, uh, for uploads. It's not, you know, it's amazing. It's better than what I've ever had in the past, but. I would still love to have something where I would easily cut in half my download speed uh, because I find it already in excess of what I require for work uh, and act, happily double my uh, upload speed just to make things like getting videos out there, sharing files with you guys, all that would be so much better if it was faster.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing about Starlink upload. Um, speed test says it's about 20 megabits, but you know, basically when you're actually doing a transfer, it can be as low as eight. Uh, for like ftps and stuff so it's it's not great for upload either um john what sort of internet connection are you
1: mine's not great i'm limited to 100 down 50 up okay well so it's just pretty good it's okay it's just down to the fact that again um not in the even though i can actually see frankfurt from my house uh we're far enough away that there's just not better options out here and this is kind of a real problem in germany i found is like the cities are all fine but like as soon as you get out away from them the internet speeds just drop off dramatically
0: okay well, let's move on to the next question from juan casanovas uh, great name great <laughs> hello, name my god hello beautiful people uh is he being ironic I don't know. I'd, I'd like to know if it's possible that since console hardware can reach 40 Hz on our 120 Hz panel in games like Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart with RT enabled, uh, would it be possible for uh, manufacturers to tap into compatible 50 Hz panels to get there? Even if there's some hiccups for people who can't get VRR, though it's not on the PS5, or on 120 Hz displays, it may be a smoother experience... Than just 30 so this is kind of like interesting right john because i think pretty much every hd panel does actually support 50 hertz so I you believe could so, in, yeah you could in theory have a 50 frames per second target and i think you've done this on pc right yeah, yeah. we've done it on Cons- pc and it's it's it works it's basically you know at the time i called it the poor man's g-sync which <laughs> is that you know g-sync kind of worked great for me between 50 to 60 frames per second right but if you just lock to 50 you save a huge amount of, of GPU time. You know, it's basically like, what, three and a half milliseconds per frame, which is quite substantial. And you get a really beautifully smooth, consistent experience. And, you know, basically every HDTV 50 hertz should be built into the spec. So it is possible, but at the same time, um, it's it, it would require the consoles to explicitly support it and it seems that they're wedded to 60 hertz and 120 hertz in which case when you you know when you've got your divisible frame rates 40 hertz 40 frames per second uh, in a 120 hertz panel seems like the more logical choice. You got anything to add to that?
1: Uh that just made me think about how if you have a European PlayStation 3 it outputs 60 hertz when selecting any of the HD modes but if you connect it via analog and use Uh, well, via analog and not an HD resolution, it goes to 50 Hertz and I can't find any way to change that. And it's just kind of like, so anybody that was playing on that system just got stuck with 50 Hertz if you weren't using an HD screen. Uh, But it's not really desirable in that case, I'll tell you that much.
2: Oh God, I would love to see what the frame time graph looks like there, like on a 30
1: FPS designed game. Does it go down to 25? It would just run at 25. 25 fps and the frame times would be fine, it would, okay. The game just probably runs slow, <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, I, it get, would, I guess it had to check, but it, it, it kind of varies, jerky, right? It would 25 look like frames for per sure. second
0: locked isn't, isn't great, but I do remember I think I've said this before that um, I did that with Far Cry 2 on PS3 and it basically removed most of, or if not all, of the tearing because <laughs> so that, you know, that, that, the, you the tearing was where you were uh, basically it couldn't lock to 30. So it would tear beneath. But as the frame rate target dropped to 25, it's, okay, this isn't too bad. It seems to be working now. It's just you're running at 25 frames per second. And it, it's, it's not great. So interesting stuff. But yeah, you know, it would be 50 or bust really. And um, I think the, the way 120 hertz works is that 40 is actually a pretty decent target. And uh, you've got a lot of GPU time there to to, to work with. Um, let's move on to the next question from brian McIntosh. this one seems targeted at you alex the rx6600 6600 and 6600 xt seem to be heavily memory bandwidth constrained and they also have a downright tiny amount of infinity Cache compared to their big navi equivalents since ray tracing eats up gobs <laughs> gobs of vram gobs of vram alex do you think that one reason why Navi2 underperforms when using red face lighting is due to the GPU spending a lot of time swapping data in and out of cache? What developer tools would one need to determine this?
2: You would need to use uh, any of their like insight equivalents uh, that they have to find that out. From what I understand, though, there's two things going on there. The size of BVHs on Radeon hardware, uh, when using compaction, which is a thing that's part of like the spec for like uh, DXR and whatnot, um, is like triple or double that of Nvidia. For some reason, they don't—they have have to still work a bit on getting their BVH size down, uh, which is uh, minuscule on. Nvidia usually it's, it's you know it's sometimes even a lot more than three times actually based upon what I've seen online. So in that case, if it's trying to fit this BVH in there and going back and forth uh, between it, it won't fit in most Infinity caches actually. So that would be a slowdown for sure. Um, but uh, the the reason why it's slower on RDNA. Uh, Two, is because uh, NVIDIA, like, well, there's a lot of reasons. There's, you know, architecturally, these are very different GPUs. But um, the one reason that is because there's like a, there's a, a different style processor in the RT core in NVIDIA chips, which is good at branching, or better at branching, I should say. And uh, that is something GPUs are bad at. They're bad at, they're really good at multi, massively parallel tasks with a less branching. They've gotten better at branching over time. The, don't want to say that it's not the case, but they're still not that very good at it. So every single time there's a branch, and BBH structures are, are like really big in this. Like when you're going through them in array, like all of a sudden you open up a whole nother area uh, for through like the top level or whatever, and then uh, and then it goes into another area altogether. Uh, the the GPU is going to be missing cycles as it's going in a different direction, missing like the waves, you know, like riding this wave that the GPU has going on, and that. Since it's doing it all in software on the RDNA2 side, instead of having a separate processor, which is better at that, it's not, it's getting like not so great GPU utilization than it could possibly have. Uh, so it's just going to be inherently slower on some things, but your idea is actually, uh, pretty good. Uh, that would be a fun thing to test. And I imagine over time, if the AMD driver side of things gets better at this, uh, BVH compaction, that it, that they could see some speed ups, maybe.
0: Yeah. But Alex, is gobs of Viva the answer? <laughs> gobs of it. No, gobs. no. I
2: mean, I, I, I mean, yes. They use more uh, memory there. Do you think we're looking at eight or sixteen gobs? Sixteen gobs, at least sixteen gobs here. Uh, full gob, uh, not a, not a half full gob. I, I mean, I think uh, it's. I'm really curious to see what AMD is going to do in the future because. I don't think that that's just them taking their many-core approach to the, to the GPU side and just adding more cores is the way to make the uh, the ray tracing performance better. They want to have eventually, at some point in time, better uh, you know efficiency of the GPU and not just uh, you know porking it out. Let's use some more words here with stuff you know that uh, that, that they don't necessarily need to do. I, I'm curious if their next RDNA three or four is going to be adding in more processing units to help our, our uh, ray tracing performance rather than just increasing cores uh, like maybe they've done on the Ryzen side of things or more cache. I don't think that's a, a good solution, actually. I think we need a
0: generational leaping gob count. <laughs> gob count. That's, that's the solution. Okay, final question from Eric Benoit. Uh, I'm not sure I'm reading this correctly. I love Audi as everyone should. <laughs> Despite, <laughs> despite his open hatred of one of my favourite games of all time, Metal Gear Solid 4, are there any games for the rest of the DF crew that cause their chalice of hate to, to overspill as MGS4 does for Audie? Uh, I'm going to go to you for this
1: one, John, first. Oh man, that's a, that's a tricky one. I guess one. it's I games mean, you love to hate. I have to admit I I have used the the recent open world Assassin's Creed as kind of whipping boys for everything that's wrong with open world game design, which is perhaps a little harsh cuz they're actually well made. It's just I don't like the decisions they've made there. Uh, but it's other stuff like I guess Oh man, uh I really don't like I hate to say it, but I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of Fortnite was pretty you know <laughs> um, just, you know the, again, the thing noticed. is though with games like that is that you look at them and it's they're actually very well made right like so I can't critique that too much. there's really good stuff in there it's just it's not really for me so the thing I would say that that I would actually uh, have been open about that I dislike isn't even a game it's streaming. <laughs>
0: right okay yeah but but you <laughs> yeah. don't love to hate it do you this isn't you just
1: hate it uh, well yeah there you go that's <laughs> i just hate it exactly that's kind of, i think
0: that's the distinction here because i think i think audi just genuinely likes hating metal gear solid 4
1: one i love to hate is animal crossing Yeah. Cause, uh it's funny because people love the heck out of that series and i really don't love it i think it's well made again but uh, i think it's funny to kind of rib on that one <laughs> Alex, games you love to hate.
2: This one's hard because I actually, I'm not a very hate-filled person in general. So it's, uh, I don't hate games. I mean, I've played games before where I pick them up and I'm just like, nope, that's definitely not for me. I guess there's one thing I dislike is uh, gaming trends. So there was a trend at like the end of the Xbox 360 PS3 generation to like overly tutorialize games and overly like lean so heavily on film as like the main like uh, design implementation. So you saw tons of stupid as heck um, quick time events. I mean, you know, uh, Resident Evil 4 was very interesting with its quick time events when it came out. But then, you know, there's such a proliferation of that. So, a lot of games from that time period where you just, like, play them and it's just like, cutscene, uh, overly scripted set piece, quick time event, uh, respawning enemy corridor like there's this tons of games from that era which all have you know like they just use all these tropes and they abuse them to heck where I where people talk about them being some of their favorite games from that time period I just go like wow this is not my game design at all Uh, I I don't want to name names because you know every game series (laughs) during that time period probably did this to a certain degree but uh, you know I just don't like that design at all I tend to like games that offer a little bit more uh Freeform choice for the user, and uh I don't know uh, something else. So stuff from like the late PS3, Xbox 360, to like the beginning of like the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 gen. I just t- th- I think it aged rather poorly in a lot of ways. So I don't hate it though. I just don't. I wouldn't ever play it.
0: Uh, well, I don't really know where to begin with this one because um it's a bit like asking Emperor Palpatine if he. <laughs> loves to hate anything. He just hates everything. He just hates it all. <laughs> From my perspective, uh, it's titles that sort of just spring to mind, uh, again, MGS4, I don't have any time for it, really. I just can't be bothered with it. Final Fantasy 7, a lot of people seem to really like that one. I dis- I dislike games where I have to, uh, where I'm forced to watch more than I'm actually playing. That seemed to be well, Wait, that's not true, Final
1: Fantasy VII. Well,
0: it is to begin with, and it just put me off. Uh, and okay. um it's, it's what else? um Games, uh, this is, I mean, if we're talking about General trends, I mean, Crisis 3 is one of my favourite games, right? But it has one thing that I just despise, un- an unskippable cutscene at the beginning. Unskippable cutscenes, I just can't be doing with it. And uh, I've just been looking at, obviously, Crisis 3, for the Crisis 3... Um, the Crisis Trilogy remastered, and uh, I've looked at Crisis 3 on seven consoles.
2: So I've had to go through that unskippable cutscene seven times. There's a game that that plagues to the point of making it unplayable years later, and that's Max Payne 3. Uh, If anyone actually wants to play Max Payne 3 now, you have to sit through so many cutscenes you've seen before, uh, and there's no way to skip them, as far as I know. And that, of course, it has like rock uh, star club attached to it, so it's also a pain in the ass to even get running these days.
0: Yeah, another one is uh, Criterion's Black, which is like this glorious action game, but it's got this really convoluted plot uh, with, that is presented with a series of um, uh, cutscenes that you can't skip past. So you've got this glorious arcade action game, uh, but then you've got to see, it's, it's literally, you've got to sit through an interrogation because it's it's like a debriefing slash interrogation, and you've you've got to sit through it, which I find like, quite amusing.
1: Richard, tell me you you don't love to hate Bug for the Sega Saturn. Um, again, <laughs> Bug. You know, it's it, it's it's last. It's like asking Palpatine if he
0: loves to hate the Jedi. But, he just yeah. hates them.
1: How do you feel about writing Bug with the correct exclamation point after the title Bug? Um, yeah, you know, Bug. Any game that tells me how it needs to be written
0: is an instant <laughs> fail, in my opinion. You know, for example, Rage being all capitals. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, Why? It doesn't stand for anything. Why? Why does it have to be all capitals?
2: There's there's one thing that actually bothers me about games sometimes is inconsistent usage of semicolons or uh, subtitles of games. So usually before I'm writing down it, like making a video, I always Google the name and look how they specifically write it out and it surprises you of the inconsistency like in the metro series it's very inconsistent it's also i think i want to say all the far cry games have a very inconsistent subtitling for their their expansion packs it's like oh just write things out as it's spoken please
0: yeah well i was looking at call of duty black ops actually it's um (laughs) black ops cold war (laughs) call of duty registration mark colon black ops dash (laughs) cold war and, uh, oh my That yeah, just pretty much sums it up, really. <laughs> uh, Any more sort of love to hate tropes in video games or games in general that we want to bring up here? Or, you know, I'm kind of, if you want to be consumed with hatred, now's the time to get it out in the open, I reckon.
2: Uh, I would also probably say games that default when you go into an open world to having like question marks everywhere across a minimap or on the map itself. Um, it just absolutely destroys the, uh, m- the feeling of entering a new and foreign place because it's like you know that's where the high, that's where the content is. It's, it's, I think it's much more enjoyable to randomly stumble on content by default. and then maybe if you're a person that doesn't like it, then to turn on the question marks.
0: Actually, I have just had a bit of a, a revelation here. Uh, I love to hate any game I play on Xbox that Alex has played before me on the same account. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Every time. Because you just ruin
0: the camera controls on every
2: single game. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh...
1: Alex!
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed uh, I was watching uh, some footage John recorded for me recently, and as he sent it to me, I, I looked him, at him starting the game up and then immediately going into the menu and changing it from inverted to normal default. I, <laughs> yeah, I laughed be, so be, hard when I saw to, that. <laughs> to be
0: clear here, for anybody that hasn't uh, watched DF Direct before, Alex always has inverted y-axis analog controls and every it gets me every single time. You know, you log into the same account.
1: It's that footage I sent to you, Alex. Uh, I think that you probably see me, like, look up or down first all the yes. way, and then pause, go to the menu, you turn that off, and then play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I love be... to hate any game oh. that
0: Alex has played before me on the same <laughs> Xbox account. I think that's, that's a good call. Yeah. Okay, I think that's kind of it. That's it. That's everything we've got for you this week. Uh, please do like, subscribe, share if you enjoyed the content. Bell ringing for notionally instant uh, notifications. DF supporter program. Ask questions. Ask the probing questions that matter. And uh, we'll answer them on the show. Uh, join our Discord community, which is getting bigger and better every single day. And, uh, yeah, just generally, uh, thanks for watching and supporting Digital Foundry. Okay, right. Uh, I need to take a quick toilet break. Please.